Do we want to do the curse maker? There's no other curse thing, is there? I mean, exorcist. I think we already did the exorcist, didn't we? Probably. Good thing we have a searchable database. Yeah, which neither of us are using to find this out. Nope. Live from the failed Mundangerous sitcom pilot in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 181 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're discussing comedy in RPGs. But first the rogue traders meet the local wildlife in the Dynasty Unwanted campaign. And later, the jester has a sharp tongue and a sharper sword in the character creation forge. So here's a message from another show on the DSPN network, DM's Deep Dive with Mike Shea. Hey, it's your pal Mike Shea from the website Sly Flourish and author of the books The Lazy Dungeon Master and Sly Flourish's Fantastic Locations. I'm going to be hosting a brand new show on the Don't Split the Podcast Network called the DM's Deep Dive. Each month, I'll be talking to a member of the D&D community about a particular topic of the game like encounter design, tools for improvisation, and game pacing. You can subscribe to the show through iTunes, on Twitch, or on YouTube. Join me and we'll all work together to make our games fantastic. And we're back. So Shane, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? The Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game, played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games, and on the Death World Iblis Prime, in the frontier city of Meridian, the Rogue Traders have set out to establish a colony in the name of the Holy Throne of Terra, and Prophet. So after a week of preparation and training, the rogue traders and a hundred men head off into the jungle of Iblis Prime, the gilded canopy. It's this rich, beautiful ecosystem with the yellows and oranges of the canopy casting a golden light below. Uh, you know, thick underbrush, the the, the jungle type atmosphere. It's hot, it's humid, but um, you know, it's a very lush ecosystem. Yeah, it's really nice here. I don't understand why we had to bring along like a hundred armsmen and all of these leaf lighters that we hired. Well, it helps because, uh, you know, you got a lot of stuff to clear through. Uh, The going isn't easy per se, uh, but you are able to make pretty good progress uh, because you have so many hands to help. So the leaf lighters are in the front burning down the forest ahead of us, right? Uh, Yeah, burning, hacking, pushing aside, however they can. Perfect. Uh, and why is it that we've got a hundred guys uh, with body armor and laser guns? So, do you recall the dossier that you were provided about this planet? Oh, I remember the one that said that. Hey, everything here has evolved to kill people. Yep, there is an apex predator in this jungle called the Emerald Stalker. The Emerald Stalker in the Golden Canopy. It's almost like it was generated randomly. Huh. Well, I'm sure it'll be easy to spot against the yellow leaves. You you would think so. Uh, and sure enough, one of the leaf lighters, one of the hired guides, reports, there is one following you. Uh, you guys brace, but the creature is patient, and you're able to continue for several more hours, knowing it's present, but not really able to spot it. Which is weird, because Trank spots everything. Mm-hmm. So... Stanton Blankhart, the leader of the Leaf Lighters, who's come along with us, orders a break in a small clearing. And of course, it's then that the Stalker strikes. Its attacks are sudden and violent and unpredictable. 
So we're struck from above and behind. We're struck from head on. And the stalker is showing off both its preternatural speed and, unfortunately, its impossibly good camouflage. We cannot see this thing. All we can see is the horrible destruction left in its wake, which is mostly people without names who are now dead. Mm-hmm. Or I assume they don't have names. I don't know their names. Well, they don't have names in your mind. I know that. <laughs> well, they won't be getting them. <laughs> <laughs> so you ask why you needed 100 men? Uh, because through overwhelming firepower and happenstance, you managed to actually wound the creature. Uh, and as it attempts to retreat, its camouflage uh, struggles, its speed slows down, and Trank is able to use his sniper rifle to finish it off. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay, we can't see it. That's fine. Everyone just shoot west. <laughs> Hope it's somewhere in this 100-yard radius. Yeah, we're now aiming in a salvo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, naturally, Doc, the heretic, the chief medicae, immediately investigates this corpse uh it he finds its large green shaded velociraptor like creature uh except it has an extra set of clawed arms uh with very like long talons that are look like they're useful for both slashing and climbing oh great or for climbing up people that it's slashing because like it's not big right it's like actual velociraptor size which is like bigger than a little bigger than a chicken no no no, no. it's it's large it's um it's like uh, Jurassic Park Velociraptor oh, size. Oh, yeah. fake Velociraptors. Gotcha. Dinonychus, okay. Dinonychus size, is that right? Uh, yes, Dinonychus. Dinonychus, whatever. Yeah, there you go. Well, that means it's terrifying. It's Yeah, it's like six Invisible raptors. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I can see why they're the apex predator. Uh-huh. So there's three things that are immediately obvious from Doc's investigation here. Uh, first, that its camouflage is providing near invisibility uh, because it was virtually undetectable. And as you can see now, um, it is naturally a green color. You guys didn't see any green until you had wounded it pretty heavily. And then second, despite its speed, it must have actually been a pack hunter. Uh, the damage that it caused was simply too much for it to have been one creature. So it must have had... At least one, maybe two, possibly three or four more Emerald Stalkers helping it during this attack. Yay! Plus one for science. (laughs) And then third thing you learn as you look around, it's getting darker. It's nearly nightfall. Well, we'll find out what horrible things come in the night next week. So this week, we're going to discuss comedy in RPGs. Uh, talk about the common ways that comedic elements appear in RPGs and then how to feature it in your games. So we're not talking about comedy RPGs, right? Like games where the whole point is to make a funny story? No. Cool. Uh, not not exclusively anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right. We're talking about uh, injecting some humor into your regular games. Right. Because comedy is not really a genre of game. It's more of a style of gameplay or a tone for your table, right? So any game can have comedic elements or be played for comedy. Um, Comedy is not a plot, right? Of course, you can be injecting this into your game, either to lighten the mood a bit, or maybe it's just something that your group does naturally or or can't help. So sometimes you do have to corral it a bit. Mm -hmm. All right. So where does comedy come from when you're going to put it into your game? 
So first, as you mentioned, it could actually come from the game or the system. So there are comedy RPGs out there, things like Human Occupied Landfill, uh, Paranoia is one of the most famous and oldest, um, newer games like Fiasco or Mission Accomplished or uh, one that's near and dear to my heart, Reckon is Racing. Is that, um, a, is that a funny game or are we just laughing at it? Uh, a little of both. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Shane wrote that game everyone Shane I, I did wrote that you game. can find it in the two weeks collection <laughs> on drive through rpg so what what ties all these together is that the rules and the setting encourage absurdity hijinks or just outright silliness right? they're not meant to be taken too seriously right and by playing the game you've already got players who've signed up for laughing or like being open to joking um the whole point of it is that you're you know going to find this funny yeah, like you can't really play paranoia uh, straight, you know, like friend computer has to be this tongue in cheek kind of mocking narrator who um, is definitely out to get you. And that has to be where you find the fun of the game. Otherwise, like it's just an exercise in frustration and backstabbing. Yeah. And Mission Accomplished is actually just a very boring performance review if you're not everyone's not trying to be kind of absurd and funny. Yeah, it's it's the world's most boring office meeting because it's, yeah. as usual, about a topic you don't care about. <laughs> so another source of comedy at, in, in RPGs is the people themselves at the table, right? So this is like a lot of times where the players of the GM are sort of interjecting their meta commentary above the table, out of character. Yeah, and I think this happens a lot more than people necessarily expect because a lot of people don't think of themselves as a funny person or being funny at the table. And yet it's often those people who are are sort of cracking the uh, most insightful joke um, or, you know, who have been paying attention enough to actually uh, make a joke that makes sense and that doesn't necessarily interrupt the flow of the story, uh, but sort of, you know, sits within it. It doesn't necessarily mean they're playing PCs who are funny themselves. Right. But certainly the PCs can be a source of comedy. Uh, the the easiest or, or probably the oldest of this is just random die results, right? Like the old crit fail joke. Um, you roll a one and something terrible happens to you. Your pants fall down or you drop your sword or you uh, step in a pile of cow dung. Yeah, this is probably like the most common reason I actually see for people who enjoy using crit fails or, or you know, the crit fail tables. Um, sometimes they're chock full of like crazy absurd things yeah uh in, in my opinion they're not funny anymore but that's okay <laughs> yeah like well the fourth time that it happens right M- maybe it is funny the first time um i will say though that the uh crit damage tables in rogue trader second edition i find mostly hilarious one because they don't happen that often two if they do happen to a player um well, you haven't lost your character because you have fate points that you can burn, um, which are a limited resource that sort of like prevent you from like permanent death, uh, even though there are other bad consequences. But like they're just so macabre and graphic in the damage. Like uh, it's not funny necessarily that a flamer made your head explode, but it's kind of funny. Yeah, it's it's made a little bit more funny when your eyeballs uh, pop. And, uh, and spray damage out to the people around you. Yeah. <laughs> or um, your head explodes and then your body runs uh, eight meters in a random direction. Right. <laughs> before falling over. Or, or perhaps the best is, uh, you know, 
all of you explodes, including your ammunition and any grenades that you're carrying. That is no laughing matter. That <laughs> That is a step too far. <laughs> um, and then I think there's also, more importantly, is when your characters are making those jokes or acting out within the story in a way that is amusing or absurd or... Um, you know, like the, the jokes are poignant and genuinely funny, um, as, as if they were, you know, dialogue written by an author. All of my characters jokes land perfectly like a gymnast. Mm-hmm. Well, what's your secret? Self-delusion? It's, it's the coaches is what it is. Also whiskey, <laughs> whiskey. That helps. <laughs> and the Last place that comedy can come from is the GM. You can have a funny person running the game. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they are cracking jokes. It could be that they're just creating absurd situations or scenarios for the players to run through. Um, Dream sequences are a great opportunity for this in a game that isn't necessarily um, funny all the time. You know, things can get very strange and absurd. Uh, Yeah, and you can also like in more serious games, right? Those improbable coincidences often end up being quite funny um you know in in their own sometimes macabre way uh this happened in rogue trader where you had flair the psyker rolled very terribly on his psychic phenomena roll uh and it was it was it was very understated right it was just something in the universe bad happens like something somewhere very bad happens right and the punchline didn't land for like 13 more sessions right (laughs) and it was your rogue trader was dead you're all illegally operating a rogue trader vessel you're all out of a job which actually wouldn't have been funny if like the rogue trader had been in the room and he rolled that result and then the rogue trader killed over dead right? right that would have just been a bad consequence but it was not knowing what happened and then the callback to something that we'd mostly forgotten about the absurd randomness of it and then also the unpredictableness so another place that gms can look to interject comedy is through their npcs um sort of in the same way that the players get to play with their pcs um having having an npc with an amusing personality is also a great thing uh if they can make pointed jokes at the characters um sort of targeting the characters kind of behaviors or insecurities or backgrounds um that that lands very well or they can just be kind of over the top personalities right the excessively french uh always gets a pretty decent laugh at our table (laughs) (laughs) the npc doesn't necessarily need to be making fun of the pcs though right they can also be on their side making fun of other npcs um, the antagonist, for example, you know, you have the uh, NPC character who sort of sidles in next to the party uh, and is sort of in a way of ingratiating themselves or getting on their side is pointing out the lay of the land. This happens a lot of, at parties uh, sometimes um, where they're sort of like pointing to the Duke uh, and then mentioning all of his foibles. Mm-hmm. Or um, kind of the whole plot of mission accomplished right can really be introduced just through any npc who asks okay so how did you get here right like retell your own story uh and then use that npc to point out all of the mistakes that they made or the um like comically unlikely things that they have done or just their own incompetence right like that tends to be a source of great comedy to just be reminded of how ridiculous this all is Right. Uh, And and it actually is a way of softening the failures. If you're sort of recounting them in uh, a funnier way or an over the top manner, um, it can sort of remind you that, all right, you know, you at least made it out alive. 
Yeah, you failed with your lives. It's better than not. Okay, so let's talk about uh, several different types of comedy that you can bring to the table. Uh, the first one is meta. And that's comedy that is, you know, happening above the table, right? The game is dramatic, but, you know, at the table, the mood is kind of light. Uh, players can still crack jokes or add their own commentary above the table, even though the characters themselves are experiencing something very serious. Yeah, and, and a lot of times this manifests itself as dramatic irony, right? Which isn't necessarily always funny. Like, dramatic irony is important in horror as well, but um, it can especially be funny uh, in RPGs because, you know, players do silly things. Yeah, above the table, everybody knows that... That reading the book is going to bring forth Cthulhu. Right, because the game is called Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, or that there's a bomb in the truck. It's going to explode at some point. You all know that's going to happen. Your characters certainly don't know it. Um, right. Uh, but at the table, it can be funny because you know like something terrible and absurd is going to happen. Uh, the same thing can can just be commentary about what's going on, right? Like, I can't believe we're doing this. This is so stupid. Like that kind of acting both as the um, actor and the audience, right? Like when you kind of slip on your audience hat at the table, a lot of times you can you can find the humor in that, right? Yeah. And, you know, like you said, I think and sort of an easy way to do this is to make sure that, you know, the tones between the table and the game are extremely mismatched. Um, think like a funeral in game, probably not a funeral in real life because, you know, it's harder to play an RPG at. Mm -hmm. But like the funeral scene, I think, is often in movies, it's played for laughs, right? Because like you as an audience are not necessarily sad that you're at a funeral for some unnamed character, right? The characters in the movie are sad um and your your pcs can be sad that they are at a funeral or maybe like not even it's just somber and they're attending a state funeral or whatever these are actually nice opportunities to let your players crack jokes to let the pcs crack jokes you know quietly and then you know offend people that's always kind of hilarious uh, the sort of period comedy of offending the sensibilities because the characters often have very different sensibilities from the players you know you get this anachronistic contrast which is nice mm -hmm. yep um or when there are uh tropes of the setting that you are kind of rejecting um in your medic commentary that aren't necessarily um rejected by the characters themselves right like uh like we run into this a lot in 40k where we all know that the religion of the imperium right the belief in the emperor of mankind is uh is ridiculous and mostly fake right uh it's a way of keeping the imperium orderly not a way of actually like worshiping uh and yet our characters are mostly devout worshipers of the emperor who truly believe he is a god who protects them from the awful horrors of the world oh yeah and it's fun to lean way into that and you know shoot heretics who talk about right. things like the scientific method Right. <laughs> Who tattoo the scientific method upon their body. Right. Ridiculous things that no one would enjoy. <laughs> Universal field theory. It's the greatest heresy of all. Uh, actually, we're kind of doing it right now, but the next, the next way to kind of interject that comedy is through absurdity, right? Uh, we've mentioned it a couple times, but um, the more over the top that your game becomes, uh, the more that the comedy kind of flows out of it, right? Um, even just 
as a as a concept, right? Like role playing games are kind of ridiculous. You have six people who are sharing their imagination with very little to unite them, except for like a few funny shaped objects in front of them with numbers on them, and maybe an arcane sheet of paper with a bunch of stuff scribbled on it. Uh, and and somehow you shape a shared narrative together. That's pretty ridiculous, and it leads to pretty ridiculous outcomes and interactions. So this is this is often going to be the like where the, your comedy RPGs are actually drawing their jokes from, right? Like paranoia is is meant to be absurdist and and um and oppressive, whereas fiasco is meant to end in a bloodbath, right? It is meant to end with characters getting their comeuppance, um, often played for laughs, right? Something like everyone is John, um, you know, you do have characters who are doing things but you know they're so single-minded they're like they're not even necessarily whole people right um they're just trying to make sure that like one particular uh fetish or obsession is met sometimes uh in in a way that involves a pun right or like a an uh, an odd twisting of words because you know it's dependent upon uh the initial motivations presented by players out of character at the beginning of the game uh it gets spun out in in sort of strange and wondrous ways right and then like we said with 40k for example some settings are just absurd warhammer 40k is crazy uh shadowrun specifically wants to be kind of weird um and like tongue-in-cheek and and sort of you know make fun of tropes uh and of course riffs is just ridiculous but in a way that it doesn't really understand its own ridiculousness <laughs> i think like Shadowrun and rifts are kind of on the opposite ends of the spectrum there where Shadowrun is like yeah elves are punks that's yeah that makes sense right that's funny right whereas rifts is like we are shining beacons to all of humanity here in chicago right <laughs> here in the fertile midwest <laughs> um yeah i, I think <laughs> a lot of times this comes out in the tone of the writing as well. Uh, I heard um, recently that the description of Burning Edge in Shadowrun, uh, in the newest edition of Shadowrun, which is like kind of the fate mechanic, um, but it includes, uh, you know, if you're shot with a gun to your head or if you have a grenade up your butt, uh, it allows you to cheat death. But not if you're shot in the butt. I mean, it, dead. it doesn't you're kill dead. you. It doesn't kill you. If that snake jumps, <laughs> jumps up and bites you in the butt, it doesn't kill you. <laughs> Are we talking about this later? Butts. Butts are funny. Butts are always funny. <laughs> Look, forget this entire episode. Just just talk about butts. Butts and kissing. Those are the two funniest <laughs> things you can put in your RPGs. And kissing butt is actually hilarious. Well, I mean, that often leads to comedy. So the thing to keep in mind here is that when the players are leading the absurdity, the GM needs to set up very straightforward scenes and scenarios for them so that they're there's a, a backdrop for that that randomness and craziness and and over the top like outlandishness yeah humor often comes from the contrast so if the gm sets up a very simple shopping trip knowing that their players are going to muck it up somehow or you know turn it into a bloodbath great that's a good setup for comedy if you're setting up like a shopping mall massacre expecting that there there's going to be a bloodbath then you're just leaning into it it's not necessarily going to be that funny right um, this is also like, you know, your mid firefight and, uh, you lock eyes with one of the NPCs and you're immediately smitten and attempting to seduce them. 
uh, you know, while you're also firing off six shots around. Well, you know. <laughs> they say that love is in the reload, Ishan. I'm, I'm just demonstrating my prowess, okay? <laughs> six shots in three seconds. <laughs> well. <laughs> that's good, right? That's good. I've been told that's good. Depends on your species. <laughs> So if you have a joke that you uh, or, or one of those kind of scenarios that you want to kind of hand off to your players um, as a GM, you can always kind of plant the seed, right? Like the, the kind of reminder there, hey, like, don't forget, you've got 13 points in interpretive dance. You could always challenge them to a dance off. Like, it doesn't matter what situation you've set up at that point. There's going to be a dance off. Which are always hilarious, no matter what the result on the die, right? An amazing roll on a performance check for dancing. Mm, it's ridiculous is what it's going to be. It's probably, you know, a, a flawlessly executed cabbage patch followed by a flaws and a bit of break dancing. Uh, whereas poorly executed is... Elaine Bennis. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yes, it's just as good. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> or the Carlton. The Carlton. <laughs> or other Fortnite dances, I guess. You know, they stole those. They stole those and it's not fair. I know. That's not funny, Shane. Stop laughing. So the flip side, uh, if you're the GM kind of leading with the absurdity, then you need your scenario to be um, to, to carry that outlandishness as a way to force your characters into uncomfortable interactions right like that uh the character's discomfort is what creates the comedy um so this is a lot of times like a fish out of water scenario where the what the pcs usually do just isn't gonna work here yeah that's what you get in you know movies like the wizard of oz um babes in toyland where you have people sort of like dumped into uh strange situations where they're you know quote-unquote normal people this happened to us on uh, Gonsal Grimm in Dynasty Unwarranted, uh, where, well, we were basically murder hobos. Uh, up to that point, yeah. I mean, you're classic rogue traders. Uh, but here we are, uh, fine dining. Yeah, uh, you got invited <laughs> to a state dinner. Uh, as, you know, um, rogue traders, you are, of course, members of the nobility, though you may have forgotten that as you were smuggling explosive chemicals in your keisters uh, to escape the dark Eldar. Yes, that uh, was the problem, right? We were supposed <laughs> to know all of this etiquette. <laughs> <laughs> so in the process, uh, where you normally, you know, uh, talk fast and shoot faster, uh, instead you had to work a room, uh, get to know all the nobles, and, and actually, like, do your negotiations over dinner instead of over gunpoint. Yeah, I think in situations like this, it's important as a player to remember that it's sometimes funnier to be bad at something than it is to be good at something. I know, like in general, as a player, like you want to be, um, you you want to be successful. You want to like roll well, um, and your inclination is to do everything you can to like avoid failing at a task or even avoid attempting a task where there is a high probability of failure. You are really talking your own book right now, huh? You're talking exactly <laughs> to me. Look, little, little Asian, I want you to know, sometimes failing's okay. No, that's too much. Stop it. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm here to fail as much as I can, but succeed when I want to. That's, that's my jam. Um, I think the GM can do a good job of presenting a space in which it is safe to fail. Like a state dinner, um, 
it's very unlikely anyone's going to get shot if they screw up the etiquette, you know, at least not at the dinner, you know? Right. Um, right. So, yeah, these are nice opportunities for you to just be like, uh, yeah, whoops, I totally screwed that up and lean way into like how how much of a faux pas you made spilling food in yourself or like um, using the the wash bowl, right, as um, a, a drinking water, um, eating the wasabi, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Uh, the worst thing that happened is like Echo got sent to the kitchen, which is funny. Right, exactly. Um, because that was more like to infantilize Echo, who was incredibly smart and and like incredibly competent in her space. But then to infantilize her in the social setting was funnier for the group than it was to simply challenge her to a duel that she almost certainly would have won because she's a freaking rogue trader and not some no name noble on some backwater planet, right? Right, and she definitely snuck in her sniper rifle into the state dinner it might have been keistered (laughs) (laughs) just hold on give me a second this duel is fine i just need to put something together hold on wait wait one second if i survive the first round you won't survive the second (laughs) sir right i choose you as my second oh oh no i don't want to put that gun together no thank you i'd rather that you die yeah, this happened a bit in Morning Glory um, when you first got to Seer in Maybar and Delure and you met the angels. So the entire society is run by the angels. Mm-hmm. Um, and you really didn't fit in at all. I mean, you didn't know how the society worked, but you also didn't really know that you were being accused of destroying the entire country. Um, and you had no idea how the, the trial was working. So every little little bit of the trial was, oh, yes, by the way, we can tell exactly when you're lying. Um, oh, yes, and, and it's your fault. And, and by the way, you don't have any souls. And also, um, you know, Behemoth is going to give some testimony against you. So that'll be fun. I, I think we also had a little bit of that come out in the uh, Pit of Five Sorrows as well. Um, I, not that it was necessarily out of character or um, or anything like that. But when we had gotten to our objective... Uh, or completed our objective and trying to make our escape. If you recall, Lou decided to look through the observatory and gather as much information as she could, even though we were literally like impending doom. Uh, she still like for her, it was too important to pass up the opportunity. Right. Uh, even though like it would have been completely ridiculous for her to attempt this and then die because she simply didn't walk through the portal to escape. Look, should we just have an entire section in here about uh, having Susie in your group? <laughs> because like 90% of the comedy in Morning Glory, I mean, it was mostly above the table, right? But in game was Lou being a crazy person and saying, all right, we're finally going to kill Nishram Shadar. What do we do? Uh, I build a house for flumps. Flumps. Because why wouldn't I do that? Because I, I, I can do that now, right? Like you gave me that ability. All right, I definitely do that. <laughs> Or passing out pamphlets for the cult of Lou. Yes, to angels who are uh, skeptical, but, you know, not necessarily uninterested. <laughs> who presently <laughs> had us on trial <laughs> for war crimes. War crime. One crime. True. <laughs> but committed six separate times. Or at least by six separate people. Although, I don't know. I mean, the whole party in general was kind of absurd uh, in the way that it tried to carry anything out, right? Uh, we're going to trap Nishim Shadar. Let's build a, we'll dig a pit and fill it with acid, I guess, because we're level 18 now and we can do anything. So this is obviously the thing that we should do when we're going to set an ambush. <laughs> it was easier to figure out how to make acid in large quantities than it was to figure out some other spell that we had that was more was, useful. Was it just someone sitting there acid splashing for an hour? 
<laughs> I think I had the creation spell at that point. Oh, okay, and you decided so. just to make acid. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. You hold person somebody in acid, it's great. And, you know, he ended up in that acid and it definitely screwed up his clothes and he was not happy about that. I think I think what we did is we forced caged him in acid, right? Yeah, yeah. So, he just stood there in acid. So, so really being plan. unhappy about how he was matting his fur. Mission accomplished. I don't I don't understand. <laughs> we we nailed that encounter. Right? The comedy is not in winning. The comedy is making him feel like he really doesn't want to be here, I guess, like really putting him out. <laughs> That'll show him this immortal rakshasa who's fooled us for years. I don't know why you're saying that. Like, he was the one who ended up in a vat of acid. Like, I really don't understand how you think he has the high ground here. Like there were there were there were two sides. One of them was sitting in acid. Which of us won? <laughs> Look, did you cut off uh, his arms and his legs? No, that means you couldn't have had the high ground. Okay, because that is the inevitable outcome. <laughs> well, he was force caged. Uh, yeah, for an hour. <laughs> well, yeah, but so all we had to do is stand on the cage, and we had the high ground <laughs> <laughs> until it disappears. Then you fall in acid. Yeah. Well, <laughs> flump house. All right, that's what made the difference. So then the the other source of comedy that I think is the most difficult to pull off because it's more dependent on the individuals at the table uh, and their kind of quick-wittedness is dialogue, right? And this is trying to actually uh, work in character um, to, like, crack-wise, you know, make your puns or, um, you know, get your uh, your real incisive insults into the into the actual dialogue of the game. Yeah, that's always really difficult. It actually sort of takes a lot of practice. So make sure that you're not getting discouraged if you're not pulling it off right away. I mean, this happens with anything like this. Like you play a Firefly game and you want to talk like you're from the verse and throw in throw in Gorams and Shinies and little bits of like Cantonese. It takes a long time to get it right before like it flows more naturally. Mm-hmm. Or, or I mean, even in like more serious games, right? It's like, yeah, I would love to have characters that sound like they were written by Aaron Sorkin. Uh, unfortunately, Aaron Sorkin gets you know months to write his scripts, and I get uh, four seconds to come up with my next line of dialogue. Oh, are you playing the West Wing RPG too? I, I am. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I, I really prefer the Gilmore Girls RPG, although it is, let me be honest, much more difficult to get it accurate than something like the West Wing. <laughs> I am playing the newsroom RPG. Ah, look at you. <laughs> I just get to rant around a lot. You're just making up fake news. That's all you're doing. That's... <laughs> Cutting to the bottom of it. That show would be so much better. It needs to come back. I don't know that it could keep up. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the problem, I guess. The The stories aren't major. They're just constant. All right. So the key here is to keep it in character. So, you know, the fastest gun of the West has a sharp tongue tongue and a bravado to match. Just stay in character and you'll eventually get a feel for it. Whereas, like, if you're playing the dim-witted ogre character, then maybe you find your your comic lines from being overly honest or making astute observations, but not regarding the social implications, right? Like, you know, when the ogre walks in and sees somebody, maybe sees an NPC who has a, a lousy toupee, right like the ogre isn't going to necessarily understand that that funny looking toupee would be rude to point out uh and stumbles right into the faux pas right or wouldn't even necessarily understand that it's fake hair or the purpose of it 
Um, have you seen Guardians of the Galaxy? Did you actually watch that? I have seen Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay, so yeah, if you look at um, you know Dave Bautista's Drax the Destroyer, mm-hmm. um, that is to me is so like Guardians in general is so very much like uh, a D and D or an RPG party, and like Drax doesn't understand metaphors. He's completely blunt. You know, he says whatever's on his mind. He like basically can't lie. Uh, He's like a culture without idioms, right? Yeah. That is a character that develops over a bit of time. You know, you don't usually come in saying, I have a character who has these five characteristics about them that makes them extremely blunt, but also very funny. You come in saying like, oh, they're kind of blunt. And then in practice, like as you're playing the character, you stumble across this like thing that was funny where like they didn't get an idiom. So the next time an idiom comes up, you just do it again and eventually it becomes part of the character's persona and so like you know over a few sessions you develop a character who's actually funny because of you know all of these um strange like uh eccentricities that they've got yeah i think um i think that's a good point because using dialogue as your source of humor is difficult because you can't really prepare it right like it's naturally a reactive thing um, so if you build those types of behaviors or those types of traits into your character up front, it gives you more to draw upon um, so that you're actually able to do it in a reactive and, and genuine kind of manner. Um, I, I'm thinking of like in our Eclipse phase game, um, my character Coney Kong uh, is an uplifted gorilla who is modeled after Coney um, and is a gangster, right? Uh, but was also a Russian space gorilla. So he speaks in a Russian accent and like all of those things, any one of those things on their own is not particularly funny. All of those things kind of rolled together just creates a ridiculous character that frankly doesn't belong in any mission team, (laughs) Um, but has like enough vices and enough um, personality and enough history to kind of like solidify uh, enough personality to kind of make the jokes land. And is set against the backdrop of the possible extinction of the human race, which kind of makes it a little bit fun. I mean, it's why every one of our Eclipse Phase games is hilarious, because none of us plays like we're worried about every single person every, everywhere dying. Yeah, everybody is way more worried about their number of Twitch followers than they are about the uh, <laughs> impending demise of humanity. Right. We're in a firefight. I'm going to live stream this. Yeah. <laughs> But how does my hair look? <laughs> so if you're if you're working on dialogue, uh, one thing that can be helpful is to jot down a few phrases that you can kind of pull, um, especially if there's like kind of culturally um, driven phrases in your setting. Um, pulling those in and having those that you're ready can can help either inspire your dialogue or at least give you something to pull from when you need it. Yeah, catchphrases are great. Uh, you're also going to want to use callbacks whenever you can. Uh, you know, back to the previous thing that was funny. Remember, things aren't necessarily funny in a vacuum. They're funny because they're referencing something else previously. Uh, probably the last thing that we laughed at. Mm-hmm. Or the joke that was funny, you know, three sessions ago that everyone's forgotten about. And, oh, I just found another way to make that joke. Guess what? It's still funny. Yep, still lands. Also, it wasn't mine, but now it's mine. Also, please don't post about it on Reddit. Nobody is going to get it. But do post about it on Reddit so I can try it in my game (laughs) so it can fall flat. Right. (laughs) All right. So 
now that you know how to do it expertly, how to be extremely funny at the table, um, what are some potential pitfalls from trying to inject comedy? Uh, you need a straight man. If everybody is escalating an absurdist narrative, it just spins out of control and you lose any type of arc uh, or storytelling. Uh, it just becomes one-upmanship. So you need somebody at the table, usually the GM, um, to play it straight and keep things moving forward in the plot so that there's enough uh, like substrate for the comedy to attach to. Also, timing matters a lot. So a joke or a line or a suggestion can be funny in the moment, but it's really distracting once the moment passes. I think this is something that uh, less experienced players will do is they remember that a thing was funny, so they'll bring it up again, and then they'll bring it up again and again. Uh, and instead of noticing that it's not funny anymore, they'll think that you know if they do it again or say it again, uh, that it'll be funny this time. And it's just it just gets worse and worse. Right. Or if you have the joke, but it takes you, you know, two minutes to, to get to it, like you can't go back. <laughs> like, like the joke doesn't land if you've already moved on in the, in the narrative, you know. Referential humor is really good. Um, a lot of us have shared interests outside of the particular game that we're playing in the moment. So it actually works really well above the table when there's an in-world reference that everyone is getting. It can even work like in character, making a, a meta a real world reference that you know maybe makes sense in context in the game but maybe totally doesn't and it's just a throwaway funny line yeah but the the pitfall there is that it can also be extremely distracting when you're constantly bringing up you know like pokemon jokes or overwatch jokes or some movie joke uh when you're trying to actually move forward in the story especially if the joke requires an explanation or not everybody gets it or whatever yeah, it's usually just better to like move on and like stop talking about it rather than continuing to explain it. I am uninterested in your Overwatch jokes at the table, but I don't even know they're happening because it gets made. I don't know what's going on. We move on. Right. Um, and then the other pitfall is like the classic improviser trick, right? Is yes and and no but. Uh, comedy only really works if everyone is bought in and accepting the premises. Um, so you need to make sure that like, you're not just shutting down the jokes or shutting down the absurdity or, or shutting down the um, fun time that people are trying to create at the table by, you know, enforcing a tone that maybe isn't consistent. Yeah, you can riff off of what other people are saying, but if you're just closing the door on it, then, you know, the that upward spiral that actually makes everyone at the table have a good time and be in on the joke ceases. Yeah, I think... One of the things that's so frustrating is when you step on someone's joke to then replace it, right? Like, especially for somebody who maybe isn't as confident or isn't making as many, um, if if they, like, kind of throw out their cool thing and you're like, no, 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 it's not that way. It's this way, which is so much funnier. It's like, okay, but, like, maybe we could have done it my way, you know? Like, maybe you could have just built on what I said instead of eliminating what I said. It's tough to make a concrete example of that. Look, this is great. Life lessons with TPT. You know, if <laughs> you ever feel like someone's not listening to you, you can always find us on Twitter and talk about RPGs because we're not really interested in talking about your problems. <laughs> Just distract yourself. That's what I do. That's why I have a podcast. Mom. All right, so let's wrap this up. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, so in a dramatic game, comedy is great for relieving the tension. Um, it actually takes some of the pressure off uh, so that you know it's not quite so stressful. Um, and in a comedic game, drama advances the narrative and provides more context for all of your jokes. So if you have a very intense, nervous, or emotional scene, you can use comedy to add levity. And in a game where, you know, half the session has been, you know, people laughing and, and your sides hurt, you can bring everybody sort of back down to earth with some drama and emotion to get everyone back on track so that you're actually playing a game again rather than just cracking jokes for three hours. Right. And that's, I think, the other most important conclusion, right, is uh, the comedy doesn't replace the setting. It doesn't replace the narrative arc. It doesn't replace the plot and it doesn't replace your story. Uh, it, it needs to be the seasoning, not the meal. Yeah, if you think about it, movies that are actually funny, um, they have real plots. Things actually happen and characters have arcs. They're just also being funny. Right. Do you hear that, Ishan? That is the silence of a void not filled with laughter. I hear that often. Wow, that's super depressing. I was trying to bring us back down to Earth. Trying to move us forward in this narrative, Shane. You brought us back to the Character Creation Forge. Oh, God. <sighs> but before we go there, I guess we'll talk to our listeners about how to get in contact with us. And we do love hearing from you, but not about your problems. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's oh, Malice Minus Meat. Oh, we're picking it back up again? Okay. Oh, yeah, well, yeah then, let's go. Then you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. <laughs> you can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we're building the Jester. Shane, I thought we were going to do the Joker. Did we already do the Joker? No, the Joker The Joker's an alignment thing, right? Oh, yeah, you're right. We'll get to that. That's coming. Yeah. So the Jester is uh, a member of the King's Court who exists to kind of, uh, I think, traditionally give the lower classes um, some type of, like, respite from the, like, stuffiness of the aristocracy, right? Like a, a way, uh, a character who's allowed to point out the flaws of his betters. Right. I think that's important that... Um, sort of like legally, I guess, or by tradition, the jester was actually allowed to make fun of the other people in the court to point out what the king was doing wrong because it was in a joke. It was couched in that humor. Right. Um, and so played a very important position in maybe actually uh, making people realize that, you know, maybe this wasn't the, necessarily the best idea. Right. All right. So Shane, what is the build? The build is Purple Dragon Knight 11, Mastermind Rogue 9. Wow. Uh, so no bard. Th these, these two subclasses, huh? Uh-huh. Uh, neither of which are particularly good. No. Huh. But when you put them together <laughs> and you put on, uh, you know, Harlequin, Harlequin coloring and pointy shoes and maybe some uh, a funny pointed hat and some makeup. <laughs> also, when from fighter you get three attacks... Uh, maybe, maybe who's laughing now? All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also get a fighting style, action surge, second wind. That purple dragon knight gets a rallying cry, which lets you share your second wind. Uh, and then it also gets, uh, expertise in persuasion at seventh level. Right. You punch people in the face and admit I'm funny. Right. Tell me I'm <laughs> funny. Uh, and then you'll have inspiring surge, uh, which lets you grant an ally uh, an extra attack when you use your action surge. 
So from Rogue, you will be able to mimic these speech patterns and accents of people that you can observe, and you'll also be able to help as a bonus action and from up to 30 feet away. You'll also get four expertises, which you'll naturally not take for persuasion, but, you know, intimidation, deception, those types of things. And then sneak attack uh, will boost your damage quite a bit. You'll also get evasion and uncanny dodge. In case you do happen to offend one of your nobles, uh, they will not be able to harm you. And then at ninth level, um, the Mastermind Rogue gets Insightful Manipulator, which lets you, uh, when you spend time with somebody, um, you can learn their characteristics, their statistics, and understand where they're better or worse than you. Uh, they'll let you know where the soft spots are, right? Exactly where it is that you need to mock them uh, in order to kind of land and, and hit home. I had forgotten what that ability did because I don't look at Mastermind above level three. Right. All right, in terms of leveling order, then we're going to go rogue to five for uncanny dodge because you definitely want to be able to dodge uh, the king scepter or the mm-hmm. uh, random beer mug or, or I guess rotten fruit, right? Or maybe the assassin's uh, crossbow bolt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then fighter 11 because you're fighting back and then finish off rogue. So Ishan, who is your jester? My jester uh, uses some mechanics from is it volo's guide volo's guide to monsters my jester is a goblin oh a goblin or a nilbog Uh, ah exactly she is a goblin who has been inhabited by a nilbog okay uh which is a an immortal spirit that sort of gets into a goblin who's been mistreated um and and then you know gives them a a few abilities but of course if the goblin has killed the nilbog just inhabits a different goblin Uh, they they basically act as jesters so she was a jester in a a court i guess there are goblin kings at least magic the gathering tells me there are goblin kings but there's definitely hobgoblins and bugbear kings Uh, yes who are definitely uh top of the hierarchy over all the lowly goblins so yeah actually Mm -hmm. i think probably in a hobgoblin court she was the jester um and you know hobgoblins are what lawful neutral i think um they don't laugh very much it's a military society so they know that they have a need for and there's a tradition for someone to actually needle them a little bit but they really hate it so mostly she was getting kind of poked by spears and like having you know bits of food thrown at her until the nilbog who inhabited her mind and said, you know what? These hobgoblins don't deserve this. They deserve much, much worse. And we're going to make their lives terrible because I will enjoy it. So, of course, she gets much better at at fighting, uh, learns uh, ways to sneak around, and then uses... um, uses her abilities to, you know, tie the laces of their boots together and invert their shields and poke little holes in in their breastplates. <laughs> it's so funny when they get pierced by arrows because they had holes in their armor. Because <laughs> they have structural integrity damage. What a funny joke. <laughs> but that's exactly the kind of thing a Nilbog would do. And then I think eventually she um, joins an adventuring troop because she's completely wiped out an entire Hobgoblin tribe. Right. All right, Shane, what about your jester? Uh, my jester is uh, is a revolutionary. Um, you know, like this this build, this purple dragonite mastermind build is is very kind of leader focused uh, as a role. Um, it shares a lot of abilities, uh, very bard like, uh, except that you know it doesn't have any bard. Um, so I like the idea that my jester uh, worked in the court, um, was uh, fired by the king for being a little too insightful, but such a popular folk hero amongst the people that uh, 
my jester now runs like a, a cell um, attempting to overthrow the monarchy. Um, you know, that, that is her objective is, is simply to depose the corrupt rulers that uh, dominate her lands. So she, you know, rallies uh, peasants and, and other uh, freedom fighters around her. She makes them better and she cuts down anybody who uh, thinks that they can stand above her either physically or, you know, um, rhetorically. No one is funnier than me because I killed them all. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, she, she like an Eldar Harlequin. So, something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you basically, uh, you created one of the Gretchen leaders of the Grot Liberation Front from the orcs. Oh. And I created a Harlequin. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they'll get together and have a, what do two jesters have? I don't know. What, what kind of, how do they throw down? How do two jesters throw down? Uh, a repartee. I'll take it. Sounds great. All right, before we wrap up, let's take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. You can also leave us a five-star review on iTunes, and if you do that, we'll read it on the air. Just like this one. This is three uh, noisemaker party hat emojis. Is that what those are? I, yeah, I always think of them as party hats, but I suppose they are actually noisemakers. It's good, good emoji read. Yeah, this is from Laylath. I love the character builds. I get so many ideas when listening to them. The alignment advice segments are top-notch roleplay help. Keep up the good work. Thanks. That's nice. Yeah, thank this you, Laylath. so nice. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about curses. And in the character creation forge... We're building the Lycanthrope Hunter. Well, that's it for episode 181 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Total Party Thrill is brought to you by our friends at Cobalt Press. Twelve Peculiar Towers is a collection of 5th edition adventures for characters levels 1 to 13 with the theme of, you guessed it, Towers. And, you know, I bet Angelo from our group doesn't even have any of these towers, you know, because I don't like him very much because he says he skips these ads. Yeah, he had he had one encounter that had five towers on it and all five towers sucked. I wish they had instead been Cobalt Press's peculiar towers. You know what was in them? Nothing. They yeah. were empty towers with no furniture and no windows. And a bunch of useless undead. That's right. There were eventually uh, dead bodies, ours, because... We died. But, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. Angelo's not listening to this anyway. But you are. And inside 12 Peculiar Towers, you can find mysteries such as the forest lair of a Ravenfolk bandit gang. That actually sounds terrifying because bird people freak me out. Yeah, and ravens are wicked smart. Yeah. Never more. Never more will I go there. They never forget a face. <laughs> You can also find a magical archive of ancient elven lore. I bet it says, don't go near Ravenfolk. They're super creepy. <laughs> and you can find the hideout of a popular thieves guild master who has probably been at war with the Ravenfolk because they are creepy bandits. That's exactly what I would do, especially if I were a sinister blood mage. I'd build a stronghold in one of these towers and from there launch horrible plasma-based spells against the Ravenfolk. <laughs>
And there are eight other distinctive dungeons, probably filled with people who hate Ravenfolk. <laughs> One of these days, we should look up what's in these eight other dungeons. <laughs> Listen, if the good people at Cobalt Press wanted us to tell you what was in the other eight dungeons, they would have told us what's in the other eight dungeons. Okay? That's, that's very true. I do know, however, that each of these towers, even the other eight, comes with a beautifully illustrated map, including many isometric maps, filled with plenty of hazards, traps, and enemies to challenge your players. So you can get 12 Peculiar Towers in print and PDF today at www.cobaltpress.com.